This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. As we prepare to look at Colossians 3.14, what I would like to remind us as we do so is that God has always had a plan to bring the universe to a state of perfect love and peace under the dominion of Christ. God has always had this plan. That is where God's history is going. That the whole universe would come under the dominion of Christ and be at perfect love and peace. The Scriptures teach us that it's God's love that is the driving force behind this plan. It is God's love that produces and causes this peace or this shalom or this end times well-being that the Scriptures promise. It is this peace that the world is attempting to accomplish but will never achieve without Christ. As we look at Colossians 3 with me and we read verses 14 and 15, we will see that Apostle Paul speaks of these, this love and this peace back to back. He says, Above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. As we consider this passage in light of Colossians, may I remind you that in the book of Colossians, Christ is said to be all. This would be an amazing study, but we don't have time. I already went over first service, uh, and I didn't even do this. But read through the book of Colossians and see all the times that the word all is used. Either in reference to the fact that the whole world is about Christ and His glory, or that in Christ believers have everything that they need. And so as we study about love and peace, we need to realize that in the book of Colossians, that will never be found by anyone apart from Christ. Because Christ is all. Colossians 1.16, we are told that Christ made everything. And why did Christ make everything? He made it for himself. That it would end up bringing him glory in the end. And so if we want to be about God's love and peace we will find that in Jesus Christ because in the end it will all be about Him and what He is doing in the world. Not only is Christ all in the sense that all the universe points to how glorious He is, but because of that, He is all in the sense that He is all that believers need. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, right? The whole 
everything there is to God or deity dwells in him in a real human body. And in him, as believers, we have been filled. In him, we have everything that we need. Now, my main proposition for today, just in case I get lost in the meantime, you'll know where I'm going, is that as believers, we have full access to God's love through faith in Jesus Christ. And not just full access to God's love, but God has made us as believers active participants in His plan to bring about unending peace in the world. And so, if that's the case, then we should figure out exactly what this love is and how best to use it to bring about Christ's ultimate plan. Because believe it or not, not everything that is love is actually love in the world. And not all Christians are as loving as we should be. A little disclaimer. Preaching on love is kind of like preaching on prayer. Uh, Who is sufficient for these things? And so I ask you to only imitate me as I imitate Christ. Love is a big topic, but hopefully we'll spring just out of Colossians and stay, keep it within the allotted time here. Um, A simple definition of love might be helpful at the outset. Love is the seeking of what is best for the object that is love. That is very simple. Seeking what's best for others. Philippians 2, 2 through 4, Paul puts it this way, love seeks the interest of others, considers their interest more important than your own. Romans 12, 9 through 10, Paul says, let love be genuine. And then as he wraps up that idea, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. One up one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. One up one another in showing honor to each other. Uh, No, I'm going to serve you. No, you can't. I'm going to serve you. That's the attitude of love that Paul is getting at. In Romans 13, 10, he brings a negative side to that. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. God's love, though, is different than human love. God's love is different because what is best for the universe is to have God. And therefore... I stole this definition out from somebody else. It says, God's love is his determination to give of himself to himself and to others. What is best for God is that he would have himself. And what is best for us is that we would have God. And so that can be said of no other being in the universe. What is best for you is not for you to have me. What is best for you is for you to have God. Therefore, God can be about his own best interest as well as our best interest all in one action. As we look over at Colossians 3.14, what I want us to see first in our outline is that believers are a part of God's universal plan of love and peace. Oftentimes, we fail to understand that as Christians that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We don't want to get ingrown, self 
focused. And what we will see in Colossians is that this love and this peace that is talked about here is not simply just something between people. It is something that God is creating uh, that will really change the whole universe. And where do we get this? Colossians 3.14 says, Above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. As I told first service, literally in the original language, verse 14 reads, And above all these love, which is the bond of perfection. And you could take that a couple of different ways. You could say love is the perfect binder, or it's uh, what binds perfectly. Or you could say love is that which brings about this perfect state. And I think uh, that is where the Apostle Paul is going with it, which uh, in our ESV Bible is uh, shown and made clear when it translates that sentence, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Look around at the church. Look around at the world, right? He's talking about this in times. He's alluding to this universal perfection. I think Paul makes this even more clear because verse 15 follows after verse 14, and which naturally... 15 does come after 14 as we count. But what we see there is what is the perfection that love brings about? The perfection that love brings about is the peace of Christ. Verse 15 is attached by the word and, which means he's continuing the similar thought pattern. And so he says, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in this perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace that Christ brings be the deciding factor in your lives. Now, if you were listening to the book of Colossians, if you had uh, heard it read from beginning to end, like uh, I believe the church did, and if you were to sit down and read it, and you heard this idea of this love, that brings about perfection and the peace that Christ brings being what rules in your hearts, you would naturally think back to chapter 1, verse 20, which says there uh, that through Christ, through Him, God is, He is reconciling to Himself all things which are on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And so here, if you heard this, you would directly think back to verse 20, and your mind would say, you know what? Uh, okay, I know Paul's getting at the fact that as a Christian, we should love, we need to put on love above everything else, but in your mind, you would be thinking, okay, this is not something small. I'm a part of what Christ is doing to bring about global peace. And beyond global peace, it's a peace that will come into and change the whole universe. You can also look up, and we won't turn there this morning, 
Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, right? Apostle Paul says there that God has this plan in the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. Uh, this also includes a concept we see in Philippians 2, uh, 8 through 11, where someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that does not mean that everyone will be saved, but what it does mean is that in the end of history, every single being that has ever been created will acknowledge the fact that everything is about Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. He is most glorious. And so when the Colossians, when we hear that, well, if we've read through the book of Colossians, we need to let it settle down deep. This is not our little world that we're thinking about. This is the plan that God is bringing about in Christ. It's about His glory. This will take place. Therefore, all of my efforts to love are not in vain, even if I don't think I'm getting anywhere. I keep sharing the gospel and... People keep walking away, and I don't even know what happens to them after that. Keep doing it, because everlasting peace will come in. Now, as I said before, this everlasting peace, the reconciliation of all things, this is everything. This is like the fault lines in the ground that create earthquakes that kill people. We're talking about universal peace. This is controlling of the planets and the stars that could potentially crash into the earth <laughs> and kill people. This is everything. It's also all believers and all unbelievers, right? And what it means to that all things would be reconciled doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved. Uh, but what it means is that in the end, uh, everything's going to be put right. And that includes uh, all the dead who rejected Christ being raised from the dead and them being judged, as we're told in Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15, according to their deeds. The good news is, is that they're not judged in a human court, they're judged in a divine court. And so the bringing in, the reconciling of all things includes proper punishment being handed out to every individual who has rejected Christ. But the good news for us in the church, it means that we never get judged according to our deeds, at least in the sense of our standing in Christ, right? Our justification before God. And so point number two is that the church has a special place in this universal plan. Believers have a special place. In Colossians 1.18, we are told there that Christ is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Think about that. The church is prominent, very important, very critical in this plan that God has to bring in everlasting peace through the dominion of Christ because as a result of Christ accomplishing the work to create and make the church, because of that, he will be shown that in everything, he is preeminent. He is the most important being in the universe. And so, uh, I say that to remind you, as Christians, as partakers of Christ, as believers, 
as those who are in Christ, who are in the body, in the church, that what God is doing in our lives is important. We are participants in this plan. The good news for us, though, is that our reconciliation will result in us being at perfect peace with God and standing in His presence forever, holy and blameless. Not in us being raised from the dead and being judged according to our deeds. Uh, If you were to read through Colossians and you're reading about this peace that Christ brings, that is this uh, love that brings about this perfect harmony, you would think back to Colossians 1 verse 20, where Paul said, And you, who once were alienated in hostile mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's good news, right? <laughs> the steal of phrase from Ryan Rippey. That is good news. But as Christians, we need to realize that it's not just about us as individuals, right? If we're going to be active participants in God's plan to bring in everlasting peace, we need to realize that we've got to look beyond our relationship with God to what God is accomplishing between us and other believers. You see, the church is center to Christ's plan to bring in everlasting peace it is because of his work of establishing the church that he will be shown to be preeminent in everything. Therefore, what's important is not simply our relationship with God, that we are at peace with him, but that we work hard at loving other Christians. Even here in chapter 121, when Paul says, and you, this is a y'all, right? This is a you, plural. Um, Paul's not saying, hey, you individual, you know, you're going to stand before God. He's saying, no, you all as a church will stand before God. And now we know that faith in Christ are accepted on an individual basis through faith, right? But... Uh, We are accepted into Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And Paul also wants to remind us that we have peace with other brothers and sisters. And therefore, we need to realize in a very practical way, we need to work on this peace. So in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul brings up, that these Christians' hearts should be knit together in love. He begins to inform them and inform us that we have a responsibility as participants in God's plan to not just think of our own personal relationship with God, but to think of our relationship with other Christians. And then in 2.19, he says there was false teaching. And what was the problem with the false teaching? Ultimately, he says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. As we get into chapter 3, Paul is going to continue giving us 
commands by commanding us to stop doing certain things. And why is he telling us to stop doing these things? Just so we can be holier than other people? No, that's not his point. Uh, he says we need to put to death all these things beginning in verse 5, and then we get to verse 9. Why are we doing this? Uh, because it's important how we treat others in the body of Christ. Do not lie to one another because you have been made new. You have put off the old self. And then it's not good enough just to stop doing things. We need to stop doing things that tear down and tear us apart from others. We need to begin to do things that unite us to others. And so that's why in verse 12, he says, put on then all these virtues, which brings us to verse 14, where Paul says, above everything else you put on, put on love. At this point, it may be redundant, but I think it's worth repeating that love is what unites believers together. As we look at this passage, everyone agrees, most everyone, I would say, that this bond that brings about perfection includes the effect that love has on Christians in their relationship with each other. Now, not to get too many boring with details, but you could, some would say that this bond uh, is really a bond that love really unites all the virtues. And then that brings about perfection. And I think maybe possibly better is the idea that love directly binds believers together, which brings about perfection. But either way, <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about a love that changes us and brings us together. I would add to that, though, that ultimately, if Paul is talking about a love that binds the whole universe together, I would say by implication, it also binds all the virtues together and it binds Christians together as well. I think ultimately, uh, we're talking about subcategories of the largest category possible here. To maybe drive the point home a little further, right? We must love because love is what unites us to other Christians. And love is what causes not just us to grow, but the whole body to grow. And so if we're not in a loving relationship with other Christians, then two things are happening. We're not as mature as we think we are. And the body of Christ is not as mature as it could be. So Paul wants to be clear. Uh, when he says love binds everything together, we are to naturally think back to that verse in chapter Two, and let's look just a little bit more closely at that. 2 verse 2, Paul's desire for the church and his ministry to the church as an apostle is that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. And what does love produce in believers' lives and in the church when 
It binds us together. It says the, the goal of this, the result of this, is to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. If you want more of Christ, more of Christ comes through Christians loving each other. Is that clear? If you want to know the deep mysteries of the gospel, you will find those out more and more as you're in a loving relationship with other Christians. And here, Paul uses that word, the same word for love, just in case you're wondering. Agape, the same word for love. But then he, he doesn't use the word for bind. He uses this word to knit together, right? It's similar, same concept, but it's a different word. And then over here in Colossians 2, verse 19, he says, And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together. So he uses that word knit together. And he doesn't use love here, but he goes back to that chapter 2, too. He uses the word knit together. And he says, uh, How are they knit together in Christ the head when they hold fast to the head? Uh, Christ just doesn't do this apart from the actions of people. How are they knit together when they hold on to the head? Through its joints and ligaments. And that word ligament is actually the same word that he uses in 3.14 for bond. Uh, you could actually use it, um, you know, I'm not an expert in medical field, but I do know that if you don't have ligaments, <laughs> things don't hold together <laughs> so well. And so what Paul wants to drive to, through to us is love knits together and that knitting together is part of the use of these bonds. Believers are bonds. Each individual is a bond or a ligament in the body of Christ that holds the body together. And when each ligament is doing what it's supposed to do, what is the result? It says... Um, that the body grows with a growth that is from God. It's not a fake growth. It's not the church growth movement by having smoke and lights, right, and getting people in the door. This is a growth that is from God, and how does Christ do it? He does it through people being knit together uh, by every individual binder or ligament, or you could say Christian. In Colossians 3, 14, he uses this word for perfection, which ultimately, as we have said, alludes to this ultimate global and even uh, perfection that will conquer the whole universe. And yet, Paul also uses that word to describe the perfection that believers have in Christ. Uh, back in 128. He says there, his goal for the church is what? <clears throat> that in the proclaiming of Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I would argue that maturity in Christ is not just, oh, you, you're doing pretty good, but... Uh, you know, you're still uh, mess up a lot. <laughs> I would argue here 
uh, based on the context, right? What was the goal of the reconciliation? To present us holy and blameless in the presence of God without being able to, for anyone to bring a reproach against us forever. And so I would argue here that to be mature in Christ is to be mature like Christ was when he was a mature man. Christ never sinned. So, all that to say that love is what binds believers together. You cannot grow and the church cannot grow and ultimately the Great Commission will stagnate if we do not take love seriously. And that brings us to our next point. For love is the Christian's outer garment. We're making decent time, Chris, so. (laughs) We'll see how it goes from here. (laughs) What are we talking about? Love is an outer garment. I had to wrap this point up, so I had to use something very general so I could figure out all that I wanted to say here. But I think it's significant that the Apostle Paul says, above everything else you put on as a Christian, right? Here he's alluding to the, um, really to this figure of speech, this illustration of clothing, right? Christians are to put off certain kinds of actions like we put off certain kinds of clothing, and we are to put on other virtues like we put on layers of clothing, and When you put on clothing, like today, it's very important what I decide to put on last, right? Because that's what people actually see. Does that seem to make sense to you, right? You know, I usually ask my wife because I'm, you know, not known for my um, genius taste in clothing (laughs) Um, or what doesn't go together or not. But what you put on last is what people see. What you put on last as a Christian, what you wear on the outside, what you are known for is what the world thinks about Jesus Christ. Is that clear? You know, we live in a defining moment in I believe, the history of the church in the United States. I think it's important for us, on the one hand, to make sure that our motivations are love, that everything we do is out of love. We can do a lot of things, right? We can have a lot of zeal, a lot of passion, but if, above all, people... Uh, don't think that we care about them, that we're not concerned above all else for uh, what is best for them, even if they misunderstand it. But above all else, if we do not wear love on the outside and we don't, do not work hard at trying to figure out how to communicate the message of love, which is the gospel in a way that people understand, then I think uh, we will fall short as a church. 
put it this way, a hundred years from now, when people look back at the church in the United States, will they say that generation of people was most concerned about preserving their own rights. And so they spent a lot of money and time and effort to try to secure and preserve their way of life and their lifestyle. Or will they say, no matter what, that generation of Christians was most concerned about advancing the saving message of the gospel which rescues souls from eternal hell? What will they say about us? I think we have to ask that question. Now, fully understood that Christians will be misrepresented. Don't get me wrong. But, in our heart of hearts as Christians, all the things that we're zealous about, all the things that get us worked up, at the end of the day, what do we wear on the outside? What do people see? Do they, do they see that above all else, these people are about the proclamation of the message of the gospel no matter what it may cost them? Because the gospel is what is best for people. If we think back, right, to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, um, let's just listen to that shortly because I think it goes directly hand in hand with what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, that great high point of love. Paul said, If I speak with, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. You know what that tells us? That tells us as Christians we can be very zealous we can be zealous for all kinds of causes. We can even sacrifice our lives. We can die for those causes, but if they're not the main cause, then at the end of the day, it's worthless. And what is the main cause? The main cause is the gospel. The main cause is the proclamation of the message of Jesus Christ. If you haven't, take some time to read through 1 Corinthians 9. Just read through it, right? Uh, I've probably said this a few times. I know Pastor Tony's alluded to 1 Corinthians 9. Read through it and weigh your own heart. I'm not espousing to be perfect in these matters. I can get worked up over a lot of different things. But as a church, we have to come back. Okay, uh, come whatever may we need to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul where he said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may win people's souls. There is a flip side to this as well, though, right? 
On the one hand, we could be those who show by our actions and the way we speak that we really don't care about people's souls, whether they're refugees or people coming across our border or whatever they are. Maybe we might not show concern for the eternal state of their souls. But we can also fall on the other's hand of love and we can get caught up in this uh, concept of something that is not love. You know, we read it on the signs all the time, love is love, right? I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I finally realized what they were meaning by that. Uh, anything that anyone wants to call love is acceptable. So you just need to accept it. And we believe that. And yet, as you look at the scriptures, it's important not only for the church to be about the concern of people's souls and wearing that on the outside as an outer garment, but we also need to understand what love actually is. Because love does not, on the flip side, mean that as Christians, our job is to make people feel comfortable in their sins. Now, I didn't say to say anything mean about them. What I say is our job as Christians is not to make people feel comfortable in their sin. Uh, now, I would argue that the Apostle Paul is saying, above everything else, all the other virtues, all those uh, vices that we need to put to death, and above all the things, uh, the virtues that we need to put on, above all those things, put on love, I would argue that the Apostle Paul also doesn't mean that, hey, uh, you know, just show up, don't wear anything else but a long coat, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's not what he's arguing. That would be ridiculous, too. I would argue that all the other virtues really are empowered by love to actually uh, show people that we love them. That's what I would argue. So when Paul says here, Right in chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming, and in, in these you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. I would argue that the reason we're to put those things all aside is because it is, that, it is living by that kind of a lifestyle that is contrary to the peace that Christ brings. The world might not want to hear that. They might want to think that I will bring my own peace and my own joy, my own comfort by choosing whatever lifestyle I want. But what Apostle Paul wants us to know that true love must put off and live differently because that, those lifestyles, that lifestyle is actually contrary to what Christ is accomplishing in the world. And that list of vices, what will that do in the world? That will actually tear people apart. God knows how the world operates. God knows what brings an everlasting peace. If we want to show the world the way of everlasting peace, then we need to put these things off because if we keep living like that, the church is going to be a mess. But we also need to put on the positive, right? We need to put on 
a new way of treating each other. And what is going to be the result is going to be that the body it has peace, that people from all kinds of different backgrounds get along in the body of Christ, and then we will be the light to the world that we were meant to be. Now, you might think I'm getting a little crazy here, so let's just turn over to 1 Corinthians 13 again, right? That's our go-to. If we want to know what love is, that's the go-to. Almost everyone would say that, right? So, does what I just said have any validity in the go-to love passage, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, don't be a noisy gong. Actually care about people and wear it on the outside. But then he gets into some nitty-gritty of what love is. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. I mean, those are all things that could make you a noisy gong, right? A really noisy gong, and I've been that before, and I'm sure many of you have. It is not, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. But then he says this, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not rejoice. It does not give condolence. It does not show joy uh, or empower or promote in any way wrongdoing. That's contrary to the world's opinion about love. The world says, make me feel good about the lifestyle that I have chosen. Paul says love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. A couple of verses that really have to be said here, right? John 14, 15. What is love? If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. And then we have to turn over here. I think we're still good, PC. Uh, we'll see. First um, John 5, 2 through 3. Uh, listen carefully to this, because this is, I was like, whoa, <laughs> when I read this. First uh, John 5, 2 through 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, right? The love of God that brings in universal, global shalom. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments with this attitude and His commandments are not burdensome. We find our joy in keeping his commandments. And that's what we hold out to the world. The ways of Christ are not burdensome. You may not like what I'm telling you. 1 Corinthians 13 also, by the way, says that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it also rejoices in the truth. And what is the ultimate truth that people need to know? The ultimate truth they need to know is they can't keep living the same way they've been living. They need to repent and throw themselves on the mercy of Christ like we did. They need to hear the message of the gospel. They need to know that they need to repent. Why? I mean, go back to Colossians 3, right? Colossians 3, verse 6, right? We're to put to death all these things. Why? says, verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's the truth. And what did Apostle Paul said? Love rejoices in the truth. And we don't bring the message, hey, you're condemned. 
That is true, but when you bring the message, hey, if you turn to Christ, you will find true joy and true happiness, which will lead to everlasting peace. That is what love, biblical love, true love, the love that will conquer the world is. You wonder why we're so fragmented. <laughs> because we're all doing what's right in our own eyes and want to be condoned for it, right? But on the flip side, right, uh, look over at Colossians chapter 4. I was really pleasantly surprised to remember that a verse was in Colossians, just like the one that I knew was in Ephesians. Um, these verses are amazing. Colossians 4 verse 5. We need to be careful, right, how we speak to the culture, right? We can fail to wear love on the outside on the one hand and be more concerned and show that we're really more concerned about uh, not being taxed too much and not giving up our rights more than we're concerned about the gospel. But on the flip side, we can get caught up too much in the culture's perspective of what love really is and think that it is our duty and we should feel guilty if at all we ever bring up that people's lifestyles are going to take them to hell. And so we need to find a balance there of how to speak the gospel in a way that is heard and is balanced. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, right? You got one priority as a Christian. It's to make sure you're spending your life supporting the main thing that Christ is doing in the world. And how are we to do this? What's the key to being wise? He says, let your speech always, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We have to pound grace. And I would not profess to be the foremost authority on this, but I talked to a few people, and I would say 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, maybe 9 out of 10 people that I talked to have had a bad experience with a religious person. And they've came away from that experience feeling uh, you know, like they treated them rude or in superior, you know, in, you know, they were superior to them. And, you know, I understand that Christians can be misrepresented. You touch a nerve, right, on uh, someone, I, I completely understand that. And yet, I would also say that when you promote the message of what grace really is, that we don't have a right standing in God because of anything we have done. And even as Christians, anything good we do, we can't take credit for and look down on others. We have to give all the credit to Jesus Christ. I would say that people don't understand that message as a whole based on their interaction with religious Christian people. And so I think the Apostles Paul's words here are fitting. PC, we got a rumble here. We're running out of time. Now, how does one grow in love? This is the good part, right? How do you grow in love? You grow in love 
when you realize that in Christ, God's love for you is completely and totally and forever secure. You grow in love when you study and you learn more and more about just how large and secure and faithful God will be to you forever to love you. Don't write that down. That sentence didn't make any sense, but I think you know what I'm talking about. When our faith and our confidence that God will love us grows, we will begin to treat others in a more loving way. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul doesn't just start off by saying, hey, you need to do all these things. You need to put on all these virtues, and you really need to love each other. He doesn't go there first. What does he say? He says, put on then, and then he takes a break. <laughs> He's like, but let me uh, tell you something first that's more critical than you doing. You need to understand what's already been done for you. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He wants us to understand that we are the beloved or the beloved of God. And why are we the beloved of God? We're the beloved of God because we're in the beloved Son of God, right? If you heard this, you would also think back to Colossians 1, 13, where we are told that the Father has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so don't, don't fail to not think too deeply about this, right? What kind of love does God love us with? Does God have uh, this amazing love for the Son and then a pretty good love for us? What kind of love does God love us with? He loves us with the same love that he loves the Son of God with. We are in the beloved Son. They, therefore, we are the beloved of God. Take some time to check out Ephesians 2, 4, right? Who were we? We were those who were dead in sin, right? But God showed mercy to us. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. And what is going to be the result of this? Ephesians 2, 7. That for the coming ages, God will be showing us the immeasurable riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. The Bible wants us to know. God didn't just love us in the past. He will love us forever in the future. His grace is immeasurable. It will never be fully explained to us. We will be learning more and more for all eternity just how much God loves us in Christ. And then also look over, if you want, at some point, Ephesians 3.14, right? Paul prays that we be rooted and grounded in love, that we would understand just how uh, deep and wide and big and tall the love of God is for us in Christ Jesus. And what's the result of that? So that we might actually put on the fullness of God. We would become like him in his love. Now, as we wrap this up, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.14 he tells us what? He tells us 
that the love of Christ controls us. If you want to grow in love, then you need to be controlled by the love of Christ. And what do you need to do to be controlled by the love of Christ? You need to understand what Christ did for you so that you no longer live for yourself, but for the one who loved you. And there's one thing, though, standing in the way that Apostle Paul brings up. He says, uh, so that those who died with Christ may no longer live for themselves, but for the one who loved us and gave himself for us, right? There's one thing that's standing in the way, and that is loving ourselves, right? Living for ourselves. But there is one motivation for that, realizing where we would be without Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on, though, in 2 Corinthians 5, by telling us that because God has loved us, because we are controlled by the love that Christ has for us, that God has reconciled us to himself and he has made us ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. And he says specifically in there that God is making an appeal through you. That means as Christians, God is making an appeal through us to the world to be reconciled to God. What does it mean to reconcile two parties? To make peace. God is making an appeal through us as Christians to the world. That's why it's so critical that we put love and the gospel first because God's appeal is coming through Christians. Now you may be here today and you may be wondering if God will really love you. You might be a Christian and you might be doubting God's love. Or you might not know Christ, and you might be wondering, will God really love me? I would propose to you that the ultimate reason why people do not believe in God is not because they don't know that God will judge them someday. I think that's pretty clear. (laughs) It's revealed from heaven, the Apostle Paul says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. I think it's pretty clear. What is not uh, clear, because... The God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel. By the news, gospel is good news, which is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What they are blinded to, I would promote, and what we need to realize as Christians is that God loves sinners. And he will love them if they put their trust in him. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to jump off of really tall things to my dad. And why did I jump off of really tall things? Because I trusted that my dad would catch me. I trusted that he loved me and would not let me just bounce off the ground. I mean, I jumped off some big things. Maybe they looked big because I was small. But still, they were probably 10, 15 feet off the ground at a conservative estimate. Um, We were at somebody's house once, and they lifted up their little son up in the air really tall, and the kid grabs onto this window ledge, and then the dad lets go of him, right? And he's like, standing below him, he's like, let go, let go to his son. And so I was like, no way. <laughs> I don't, you know, he just couldn't do it. He couldn't see his dad. He's like, I, I'm, I feel more secure up here holding onto this ledge with my fingertips. And then the dad comes in, and he kind of touches his legs, and the son just drops into, you know. Uh, he knew at that point, okay, my dad's actually there. He's going to catch me. And so uh, today, 
I would ask you to hear the words of Christ, right? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He also said in 1 John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me uh, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We don't have time to go into all the passages where believers are called to love all other believers. Check out Colossians 1, 4. You realize that it's, it's not love if you only love the people that you like. <laughs> I think we all knew that, but do we do that? Um, it's amazing. Colossians 1, 4, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, Philemon 1, 5, Ephesians 1, 15, 1 John 5, 1. Uh, all those passages. The, lo- the New Testament church was not known for just being loving to some people. When Paul heard of their faith, Without exception in these passages, he gives thanks not just for their faith, but he knows that it's genuine, it's real, and it's life-changing because it says clearly he has heard of their love for who? All the saints. All the saints. The people who are like you and the people who are not like you. For that matter, 1 Corinthians 16, 24, the Apostle Paul actually says that he loves every one of the Corinthians. I mean, they were messy people, right? The Apostle Paul's like, I love some of you, some of you I'd rather not be around. He says, um, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. I understand that we live in the already and not yet. Some relationships are messy, I have one in particular that's a bit messy. <laughs> no matter how hard I try, it always seems to blow up when I try to seek true reconciliation. Um, no matter how many times I try, it always ends up there. <laughs> but I realize we live in already is not yet. Um, but I would say, um, as Christians, we have a duty to wear love on the outside above everything else. And we're a part of something big that will not fail. We're on the right side of history. We may or may not die for the sake of the gospel, but it's been over 2,000 years and the message is still going forth and people are still following Christ. So let's keep about the good work and know that Christ loves you. That is what communion is all about, right? Um, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him for you, Right, will he not also with him freely give you all things forever? And the proof is that he gave his son. Let's pray and we'll transfer.